Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Every Square Inch. My name is Robert Cunningham, the director of Christ for Kentucky, and this podcast is our ministry's main outlet uh, for public thought. For a couple months, I've been recording some podcasts outlining the vision, philosophy, strategy, and so forth of Christ for Kentucky. And this will be the last of two podcasts I record before moving on to some other topics. Originally, it was going to be one, but I realized as I got into it, this is just too dense and long. So I divided it up into two. So two more podcasts, and then we will move on to other topics. I know that these podcasts haven't been the normal content our listeners are used to, and maybe for some, especially for those outside Kentucky, uh, may not have been as riveting, so to speak. Uh, that that may not be fair. I, I've gotten, thank you for your encouraging feedback that these have been helpful. Uh, but more than that, it, it was important to me to fully outline our organization, if for no other reason than to have a place to point folks to who want to understand our work. That said, these next two episodes in particular, I think will be a great resource for everyone, not just those interested in the work of Christ for Kentucky. So last week's episode on its own admittedly runs the risk of dying the death of idealism. I outlined the grand story of God's redemptive arc in history wherein God redeems all things back from their fallen state. But that story, though beautiful and compelling, remains inconsequential if it isn't pressed down and applied to our present lives. What does God's redemptive plan mean for your seemingly ordinary life? That's the question of all questions, and I want to answer it in two ways practical and potential. First in this podcast, I want to get very practical with the work of our lives. Then next week, I want to discuss the actual potential of that work. So let's start practically. The name of our podcast comes from a famous line delivered by Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper was actually the prime minister of the Netherlands, but is more known by his theological work, specifically his theology of what is referred to as sphere sovereignty. So Kuyper was invited by Princeton University to deliver the prestigious Stone Lecture Series, and his topic was on Calvinism. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of Calvinism. I'm a Calvinist, uh, hopefully a nice one. I, I admit there might be some not-so-nice ones out there. But hopefully, hopefully I'm a nice one. But I almost hesitate to identify myself that way because very rarely do people understand exactly uh, what the Calvin theological tradition implies. Most people only think about the notion of God's sovereignty and Christian salvation. That's only a small part of Calvinism. And even that part was uh, systematized after John Calvin's death. Those controversial five points of Calvinism, if you know what I'm talking about, they were not written by Calvin. But the problem is that many people get a hold of those five points, get very militant and combative in defending them, and then that's what people associate with Calvinism, which is why I'm hesitant with the Calvinist label. Well, Kuyper was invited by Princeton to lecture on Calvinism, and he didn't talk about God's election, sovereignty, and salvation like we have come to associate with Calvinism. Instead, he lectured on politics, science, art, business, and so forth. Now, what in the world does politics and art have to do with God's sovereignty? The answer is everything. 
At the heart of Calvin's theology is a God who is sovereign over all things, not just over individual souls and lives as much as the entire cosmos. God is the rightful owner and ruler of everything. Thus, Kuiper's famous line from those lectures from which our podcast name is derived. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not declare mine. The risen and reigning Jesus Christ owns every square inch of the domain of human existence. And this is true. But here's the problem. Does it look like Jesus owns everything? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why does Appalachia continue its seemingly unstoppable cycle of generational poverty? On the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum, if Jesus owns Kentucky, then why do our wealthiest Kentuckians tend to hoard their wealth to resource their own greed? That's not the way of Jesus. If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why are we being ravished with an opioid addiction epidemic? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why is our rising generation lonelier and more suicidal than ever? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why did we place Africans on the auction block at Cheapside Slave Auction in Lexington, Kentucky? You know that Cheapside Park downtown where people party on Thursday nights and buy organic produce at the Saturday morning farmer's market? Yeah, that's where Kentucky used to traffic human beings. How could that be if Jesus owns Kentucky? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why do we hate each other along the predictable lines of partisan divide? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why are Kentucky institutions filled with corruption? If Jesus owns Kentucky, then why does our state rank among the highest in pornography consumption? You know, all this protecting our youth from drag queen drama may get a lot of clicks and attention, Meanwhile, 87% of our young men and 31% of our young women have viewed porn's debased exploitation. And yes, if Jesus owns Kentucky, then why do so many Kentuckians not believe, love, and follow Jesus? Do you see the dilemma we are facing? None of this, none of what I just said would be if Jesus were in charge of Kentucky. Under the reign of King Jesus, Kentucky would be as it is in heaven. So, we might say Jesus owns every square inch of our commonwealth, but it sure doesn't look like it, which is precisely the point. That seemingly irreconcilable dilemma is what the followers of King Jesus are expected to reconcile. Jesus owns all things. Because of the parasite that is the fall, it doesn't look like Jesus owns all things. What followers of Jesus are you going to do about it? But we're still talking too idealistic. What exactly are we to do about it, practically speaking? On a most pragmatic level, the answer comes down to what Kuiper calls sphere sovereignty. So, We all want a better world. We want God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we achieve a better world? Historically speaking, there are two options, the church or the state. Either the priests or the politicians were in charge and trusted to bring about the common good via coercive power. For most of human history, the good of the world was entrusted to the church or depending upon the culture or nation, 
the religious equivalent of the church. Some form of religious establishment was in charge of society, offering promises of a better society. Or the other option has been the state. This became more popular post-Enlightenment with the rise of secular statism, where the aim was to purge society of institutional religion, and in its place comes the authority of the state with similar promises of a better society. So how do we make the world more just, righteous, beautiful? How do we cultivate flourishing on earth? Historically, the answer is the coercive power of the church or the coercive power of the state. I know I'm being overly simplistic here, by the way. If you're a student of this subject, I get that there have been attempts to merge the two together as friends. Like to this day, the House of Lords and the British Parliament includes bishops from the Church of England. So forgive me for simplifying a very complex historical discussion, but you get the point. Who is sovereign over society? Historically, it's the church or the state. Well, history has proven both of these to be a disaster. Neither have been able to deliver on their promises to bring about the world we long to see. Now, For the audience of this podcast, I don't think I need to convince you that the sovereignty and coercive power of the state never works. You probably think the state should be limited, as do I. But what about the church? Should Christians want the institution of the church to be in charge? Or should Christians want a Christianized government, like a theocracy or something like that? It's actually becoming a more relevant discussion with uh, the resurgence of Christian nationalism, and perhaps I'll weigh in on that more in another podcast. But I don't need to have the discussion to tell you the answer is no. I was lecturing on this topic to uh, professors at the University of Kentucky, and a UK scientist, not a United Kingdom scientist, a University of Kentucky scientist that I respect a lot was in the room. And I said, you know, it wasn't fun being a scientist when the church was in charge of academics. So Galileo comes up with this crazy idea that the earth actually revolves around the sun, which contradicts the church's teachings that the earth was at the center of the universe. So Galileo is brought before the church courts. And here is the declaration, quote, We pronounce, judge, and declare that you, the said Galileo, have rendered yourself vehemently suspected by this holy office of heresy, that is, of having believed and held the doctrine which is false and contrary to the holy and divine scriptures, that the sun is the center of the world, and that it does not move from east to west, and that the earth does move and is not the center of the world. And so his scientific discovery was deemed heretical, and he was condemned as a heretic. I do not want the church in charge of the University of Kentucky, nor should you. But you know what? I do want a better University of Kentucky. I do believe that higher education in America is struggling, is beholden to certain ideologies that are harmful and destructive for society and do not cultivate truth, beauty, and goodness I do believe college students on campuses across our nation are struggling in ways that are unprecedented. So if that doesn't come about by coercive power of the church or state, how do we have better universities? Again, Abraham Kuyper turns to sphere sovereignty. Let me simplify sphere sovereignty as best I can. 
If Christians believe that Jesus is sovereign over every square inch, the question then becomes, to whom or what has he entrusted his sovereignty? Kuiper argues the original vision behind the original mandate is still God's plan. This I outlined in the last podcast. Originally, image bearers of God were commissioned to rule, reign, subdue, have dominion over creation on behalf of the Creator. Now, that became a disaster because of sin. Human dominion has become human domination. But it doesn't have to be that way is the point. If dominion is done according to the design of God, then the Creator is glorified and creation flourishes. So, I agree that in this fallen world, every sphere of society is a mess. Business, politics, uh, media, education, technology, entertainment, no sphere is exempt from corruption and selfishness, exploitation, greed, and so forth. So now the Christian call is a form of resubduing, reclaiming the spheres of society that have been co-opted by the fall, reclaiming these spheres for their rightful owner, Jesus. This is the essence of sphere sovereignty. The church is not sovereign. The state is not sovereign. You are sovereign over the spheres that God has entrusted to you. The state exists to protect your ability to labor within your spheres. The church exists to equip your ability to labor within your spheres. But God is calling you to the redemptive work in the spheres where the true sovereign has made you sovereign. Sphere sovereignty. Kuiper argues that God's creation flourishes when diverse yet unified spheres flourish under the reign of Christian ambassadors of Christ. That is what brings about the common good. Now, I'm probably making this more complicated than it needs to be. It's really not that complicated. So let me get even more practical. Just consider your life and ask this question. Where has Jesus entrusted his sovereignty to you? He is sovereign over all things, but has made you an ambassador of sovereignty in a particular sphere, in several spheres. Your home is obviously one. Your family, your marriage, your parenting, heck, your very house. Okay, that is a massive sphere over which Jesus, who is sovereign, has made you sovereign. Does your home reflect the reign of God? Do you know the significance of raising children who love their God and neighbor, who then have children who love God and neighbor, who have children who love God and neighbor, and suddenly the love of God and neighbor is multiplied exponentially? Do you know what that does to the world? Or your marriage? In a world of selfish, disordered, broken marriages, do you know what it does to the common good of the world to have a husband and wife who love and serve each other as Christ commanded? What about your actual house or apartment where you live? Does that belong to you or Jesus? The Christian must say, Jesus. Okay, then that house is to be an oasis of hospitality to the lost, the least, the hurting, the single, Do you know how much Christian hospitality changes the world around it? And that's just one sphere. Chances are you also have a vocational sphere. And I don't know what your vocation may be, but chances are also high. That line of work is not known for its righteousness. 
integrity, humility, and so forth. Chances are it's a selfish, cutthroat, uh, deceitful, exploited industry. Well, not your sphere, your office, your business, your technical trade, your cubicle, your classroom, your boardroom, your studio, wherever Jesus has made you sovereign, you are planting a proverbial flag in the ground and saying this belongs to King Jesus and it will operate according to the ways of his kingdom. Depending upon your sphere, that may come at a cost. I can think of several vocations where if you were to say, I am going to do this according to the ways of Jesus, you won't get ahead. So be it. Jesus and his kingdom are worth it. The common good of the world is more important than your advancement, and great will be your reward for choosing what is righteous for your sphere at whatever cost to you. But in some spheres, it also may come with great gains. I think of Jim Collins um, in his classic book, Good to Great, where he demonstrates convincingly that leaders with character and humility are actually very successful leaders. And candidly, I think our world is so weary of corruption that doing things with righteousness and integrity and humility, that actually could bring about a lot of success. So you may advance. You may make profits. So be it. Jesus is also sovereign over your profits. Jesus is also sovereign over the seat of power you may have. So what do you do? You bless others with it. Do you see? Your neighborhood is a sphere. Your online presence is a sphere. Your bank account is a sphere. And since there is not one square inch that Jesus does not declare mine, then whatever sphere you find yourself belongs to Jesus. And Jesus has made you a mini sovereign of his sovereignty. And you as his noble ambassador are to rule and reign in a way that he would have you. Brothers and sisters, you are not just serving Jesus in those limited occasions where you are evangelizing those who do not know Jesus. You should be zealous in your evangelism. I, candidly, I could certainly grow in this area. But even our evangelism is not just about saving souls, though it is about that. It's also about changing the world because we have recruited new ambassadors of Jesus' reign who are now called to redeem their spheres of his sovereignty. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that you are not just serving Jesus when you're evangelizing or when you're on a mission trip or when you serve in a ministry at your church. You are in service to Jesus every minute of every mundane day, waking up every day as a viceroy of Jesus making his invisible kingdom visible within the spheres that the king has entrusted to you. It doesn't matter what you are doing, but what you are doing matters. And for Kentucky Christians in particular, Christ for Kentucky exists to empower, equip, and strategize that work, specifically those entrusted with spheres that happen to wield greater impact on the common good of our commonwealth. I won't rehash this, but you can go back and listen to the podcast where I outlined our strategy. But what I've done is I've brought into Kuiper's Sphere Sovereignty Scholarship, sociologist James Hunter's scholarship, which demonstrates that there are spheres with greater formative influence. And so my message to Kentuckians who find themselves there is what Jesus himself would say to you. 
to whom much is given, much will be required. Those who have been entrusted with spheres of power, financial power, institutional power, uh, cultural influence power, political power, the trickle-down impact of your sphere upon the world is enormous. And speaking candidly, you're going to give an account to King Jesus for how you stewarded the sphere of power entrusted to you. Okay, so that's sphere sovereignty on a most practical level. That's what changes the world. Not the pastor of your local church, and certainly not the politician in Washington with their empty promises of a better world that raises money and gets them elected but never seems to come to bear. The answer, brothers and sisters, is you. Now, you're not the Messiah. God isn't asking you to fix the world. He's given you spheres, a few square inches of every square inch that belongs to Jesus. And he is asking you, dare I say he is demanding you, he is your Lord after all, to reign over your sphere according to the reign of Jesus, which will bring glory to God and good to creation. Now, listen, I've talked, I've taught on this enough to know that a major stumbling block is our cynicism here. So this sounds great in theory, but come on, does this theology really work? Does this really change the world? You see, we've seen the limitation of the church and state to change the world, but at least when we think about the power of the church and the power of the state as institutions, we can imagine they have the power to actually bring about change. But when we think of sphere sovereignty in the life of Christians, the problem we face is whether it actually has the power to bring about any real change in our world. That's the topic we will pick up in next week's episode. Until then, would you do us a favor? Uh, we don't do promotion. We don't do much promotion at all. We, we rely on organic word of mouth growth. So would you subscribe, uh, share on social, rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen to, give us a review, all that good stuff. And we will pick this back up on next week's episode of Every Square Inch.